The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, take a break from your 24-hour ego surfing marathon and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan here to announce show number 163 with guest Barry Gervin, recorded live Wednesday, February 8th, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering the Visual Basic 2005 Masterclass and the ASP.NET 2.0 Masterclass with new dates in New London, Connecticut, online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web Applications, online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who gave his wife a new router for Valentine's Day, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. You're listening to .NET Rocks again. Show number 163. Richard, can you believe it? I can believe it. I seem to be sitting at this microphone on a remarkably regular basis. Yeah, it's good. We've done some really good shows lately. You know, we've been talking uh, about code camps in, in, on the show. Well, reading people's emails who have been talking about code camps. And we got a, an email from uh, Jeff Palermo who says, you remember Jeff Palermo, right? Oh, for sure. Austin, Texas. Yeah, Austin, Texas. Ex-Dell guy and... Was in Iraq for a while. He's the guy who sent us letters from Iraq as he was driving around in the Nas- Army National Guard Reserve. And uh, Jeff Palermo says, Carl and Richard, I'm glad that y'all are talking about code camps on DNR. I'd like to add mine to the announcement list. We, the Austin.net user group, are putting on our first code camp on March 4th, and we will have about 150 people in attendance. So that's the Austin Code Camp, March 4th, 2006. From 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. at St. Edward's Professional Education Center. The link is www.adnug.org. Adnug. And I guess that's the Austin.net users group. Adnug. We have all types of developers registered from college students to enterprise developers at Dell to top-notch ISV developers. We have 17 talks scheduled, all being given by local guys, myself included. And we also got a, a, a correction from Rob Windsor. He says, hey, guys, I just heard the Adam Kogan show. I, pe- I appreciate the props you gave me for the Toronto Code Camp, but the real credit has to go to Jean-Luc David and Chris Dufour for the East of Toronto.net users group. They did the real work organizing and running a superb event. Thanks, Rob, for helping us clear that up. And you still rock, Rob. Richard, what have you been doing lately? I had a very interesting day yesterday. I spent the day downtown Vancouver at uh, one of the Microsoft Canada Architects Forums, and I actually headed up one of the discussion groups on data center virtualization. Wow. Well, and not the sort of thing you normally talk about as a .NET guy, but, you know, I put my IT hat on, and and virtual PC and virtual server are, are very important technologies these days, and... I had about 30 guys in the room, and I hope the hell I had a good time. It was a really great, very interactive discussion. Uh, all these folks were using VPC to some degree. Uh, one of the best examples, I was uh, talking to a couple of guys in the healthcare sector in British Columbia, and they had rounded up all of those old orphan applications that did stuff 
uh, where the programmers are long gone and they're like running on an NT4 box held together with duct tape. Right. They'd taken those machines and had converted them into VPCs and it put them all in one big sturdy server. So they, you know, they didn't need as much care and feeding anymore. They eliminated a lot of old cranky hardware. They had these things completely self-contained. They're not important enough to be converted, but they're not unimportant enough to be thrown away. Yeah, right. And when they'd finished doing the inventory and bring them all together, they had 60 of them. Wow. All on one so machine just, or? Just fired them all in the one big, big honking server to do the whole thing. How honking is that server have to be? Well, I guess you're talking about things that were running on NT4, so they don't really need yeah. all that much memory, each of them. They right? were coming off of Pentium 133s. Wow. Right? With 128 megs or 256 megs of RAM. So they're just making little VPCs. But the whole idea that now they can keep these things running virtually forever, just keeping them in a VPC and moving them from the machine to machine as time goes by. What a great idea. It was fabulous. I was really impressed. And that was not the only thing that we dealt with. I mean, there was some good news and some bad news. We struggled with some of the problems about how would we make SANS work in that environment and how does the clustering work and, and so on. It was a great, great discussion. It really made me think uh, a different level about virtual uh, PC. It's a, it's a phenomenal technology, and I don't think we've really exploited the potential of it yet. Speaking of exploiting virtual PC, our guest this week, Barry Gervin, who I'll introduce in a minute, he is doing a DNR TV show with us, uh, and I can't even. I, I, I'm so screwed up on the schedule. I don't even know when it's coming out. I think it's coming out. Uh, I can't even. I'm not even going to venture to guess because, <laughs> <laughs> like, time has lost all meaning for me. But it's coming out real soon. Anyway, um, the way that we, he's he's going to be the first uh, DNR TV guest to actually use virtual PC with us. So what he does, it's a kind of an interesting process how we do it. He sends me his virtual PC image and then he connects to, I run it full screen. He connects to me using Ultra VNC, which is a remote desktop, uh, you know, feature product. And then I record that virtual PC desktop full screen with Camtasia. And so we're using three really high tech products together and it works great. Anyway, let me introduce Barry. This is going to be a great show. We're going to talk about Link. And uh, Barry Gervin, who has been on the show before, is a partner with Object Sharp Consulting. And when not helping customers adopt .NET technologies, Barry likes to spend his free time playing with .NET technologies. Consequently, <laughs> Barry is a Microsoft Regional Director, as I said, and has two solutions architect MVPs. What does that mean? Hang on a second. Con- and a solutions uh, yeah. architect MVP. Consequently, Barry is a Microsoft regional director, as I said, and a solution and a solutions architect MVP. Barry lives in Toronto with his wife and two daughters. Hey, Barry. Hi, guys. How you doing? Last time I saw you, I think, was at uh, DevTeach, wasn't it? Um, yeah, or TechEd, maybe. I don't know. Maybe TechEd. I can't. One of those. You know, yeah. it's all a blur. Mm-hmm. Coming to uh, DevTeach again this year, Carl? Actually, no. Um, and this brings me around to to why. My wife is having her foot reconstructed. She has uh, basically her feet, her, her right foot has flattened out over the years, and uh, she has no arch. So they had to build an arch using cadaver bones and saws and screws and stuff. Ouch. Ow. Yeah. Wow. So Would she's got to like uh, jump higher or, you know, run faster. <laughs> I don't know. It depends <laughs> on who <laughs> the donor was. Right. So uh, she's got her foot up high all the time and. And has to have care around the clock, and and basically, I'm uh, staying home as much as possible. So it's amazing I'm here right now. As a matter of fact, well, we'll miss you. Good for you, though. Yep. Hope your wife does well. Thanks. So the only thing I'm doing conference-wise uh, up until the summertime is right around May, the beginning of the first two weeks of May, when I'm going to uh, the Netherlands for SDC. Should be fun. So we're talking about Link. Yeah. Link. Link rocks. So I, there's most of the stuff that people have heard about Link is on Channel 9. Uh, a lot of resources. Your blog, obviously, a great resource. Anders Halsberg, kind of the, the, the godfather of Link. You know, he's done some great movies. The first one I saw was at uh, TechEd. It might even be PDC. It was PDC, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, or slightly before. I think he filmed some Channel 9 stuff before right. PDC, yeah. So tell us about this for the completely uninitiated. What is Link? Well, um, let let's step step back a bit. Um, okay. Um, 
I mean, I do a lot of database development, and, and you know, in .NET technologies, that's, you know, an area that's near and dear to my heart. Um, prior to um, being a Microsoft guy about four years ago, prior to that, I was um, doing a lot of work with Power Builder and Delphi, another Anders creation, um, being yep. Delphi. But... Um, um, you know, Power Builder, um, and, uh, you know, Delphi as well, but really Power Builder was a great, great client-server Windows development platform for building database applications. And, uh, you know, .NET for me was like, okay, that's a really good platform. They, they got ADO.NET down, right? Um, it's actually a very similar data access model to Power Builder. Um, but there was still a couple of problems with it, and... Uh, um, I mean, it was still relatively disconnected from database development. Um, but, you know, we may do, and, uh, you know, it, it does pretty good. I mean, there's still some things that you miss from, from tools like that. Um, and, you know, it just seemed like sort of in the Microsoft world in general, um, application development is a lot more generalized in C-sharp VB than, you know, database development and, say, something like even Fox Pro or Power Builder or Progress or you know, Oracle d- development tools. Um, and uh, Anders would tell you that the whole 4GL development world has um, really not um, come up to speed on database development. But really, I think it's just the Microsoft stuff, to be honest. Right. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think the rest of the world does a good job. How few, many apps are we actually building that aren't connected to a database in some way? It's true. It's like yeah, everything I mean, we make's got a database in it. Most most business applications touch a database. Yeah, if it's a business application, sure. Actually, I'm surprised. Um, I actually get surprised when I when I go into a client because um, they 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 think I'm a .NET expert and uh, and and they don't do any database development. That that's a little freaky. Or they do very very little, and most of what they do. Um, um, is not database related. I'm, I'm actually visiting a client up here in Ottawa. Uh, a company called Prairie Fire, and they build uh, PBX control software. <laughs> and uh, I'm just, you know, every time they mention database, which is very rare, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can help you with that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, um, you know, Anders, um, you know, he, he's mentioned, you know, probably for the past two years that one of the areas that he would like to see C-sharp.net evolving is get closer to doing, um, making database development a little more seamless for the object-oriented 4GL development guy in C-sharp and, and in VB. And uh, the crowning moment of that um, was the system.nullable generic type in, um, in the recent release of uh, Visual Studio would be, which, you know, is not that big of a deal. Um, but I, I think he was just kind of hinting that there was something around the corner, and uh, and actually it was at an SDR, uh, which is a Microsoft Software Design Review, back in uh, in May of this year. And it was all about data, and uh, that was when I first got to take a peek at um, Link, and uh, I could I was it was killing me because I couldn't mention anything about it until until PDC. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's. Um, you know, trying to bridge the world in terms of querying stuff from a database with object-oriented development. Yeah. Really trying to make querying stuff out of the database or data anywhere really just as easy as working with data that's in objects or collections. What technologies existed before Link that tried to do this but didn't quite uh, didn't quite do it well enough? Well, um, I mean, Korbsky had ADO.net, like the the data dot um, SQL client namespace, you know, data readers. But data adapters, you know, brought the data into memory, and then I could uh, work with that um, in a data set. Right. So maybe on a crude level, the select method of a data table or something like that. Yeah, you could you could select you know individual records or groups of records arrays out um, from a single data table. Yeah. Um, uh, you could even order it with a data view, but um, you know you were specifically working with data that you had to first put into a data set. Sure. You'd have to go and do that. Sometimes you might have collections of data that aren't in a data set, and one could argue that you know the rows in a data table are just a collection of objects. Sure. Um, but if you're working with your own, um, you know, strongly typed domain objects, um, and you're putting those yeah. into collections or arrays of some type, you may want to query those. Um, yeah. In a similar way to a database, I, w- I would argue, though, that Link's really not, um, I mean, 
that's not a burning requirement. I, I don't think people have had a problem with, you know, iterating through a collection. Yeah. Um, but really what they wanted to do is they wanted to iterate through a collection that really wasn't the collection yet. It was, you know, data in the database. This, is this a sort of a natural extension of there being a lot more memory around to, to work with these days than there was even, you know, seven, seven eight, nine years ago? Um, certainly, probably, um, you know, there's a certain category of people that w- would think of it that way. I don't think, um, I mean, you've got to be careful when you pull data out of one system into another because right. now, you're, now you're disconnected. And, uh, sure. um, you know, the bigger the data you pull out, uh, <laughs> the more disconnected you are. I mean, <laughs> the more chance you have for um, uh, synchronization, concurrency problems. Right. So um, sh- certainly you can bring more data in. Um, with memory, um, but I don't. I don't think that's really the primary goal. I think the goal is really to you know people want to deal with everything as an object when they're in .NET, and when you have to go and you have to you know fire up a SQL data reader or um, an XML document to go after your data, yeah. an XML reader, it's just it feels like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Dirty, you know. Now and, and, it, the big bugabear we haven't really talked about around this then is some kind of ORM system, the object relational mapping, which if if I would quote Ted Neward, he called the Vietnam of software <laughs> development. <laughs> I've heard him say that. You know, Microsoft has been certainly working or looking at um, this problem for a while. And uh, he's probably thinking specifically um, or referring to um, object spaces. Yeah. And if you've if you've been keeping tabs on Microsoft, they've been talking about this thing, object spaces, for an awfully long time. Yes, they have been, mostly in terms of saying how much longer it'll be before it ships. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. What is the what's the deal with object space? Object spaces was supposed to be the completion of the. Of the 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 class designer taken to another level that actually writes data uh, writes objects into a database. What what what's what happened to that product? Well, you pr- I don't think you get a really good story out of what happened. I, I think they looked at the problem in a few different uh, ways. Um, they they were they were actually using it. Um, uh, the Microsoft Business Framework, the uh, MBS folks, they were using it. Um, yeah. They were going to have a dependency between this and WinFS in in uh, Vista. And, and as you know, WinFS has been uh, dropped out of Vista. I would have to guess because of this, you know, dropping of object spaces. I, I think, I think, prob- I mean, the problem with object spaces is that, yeah, it was a great ORM tool and it, it looked really good. The syntax was a little clunky. And you actually had to work with object spaces data still yet a different way than you would work with XML data or any other object collections. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, Anders wanted to, you know, let's move this to the language level. Let's, regardless of how we're dealing with the data, where it's actually stored, let's come up with language syntax, not, you know, classes and framework and methods, although we might have to do some of that under the covers. Just right. make it language natural for the developer. You know, like writing a SQL statement, a select statement, right inside of you know your C sharp code. So I think it's really clever because it walks around the ORM problem. It doesn't solve it. It just says, "Well, let's not worry about that right now. We're just going to yeah. go and focus on how we can communicate to the database in a more object-like way." Does your team need to get up to speed on .NET 2.0, VBNet 2005, Visual Studio Team System, BizTalk, or ASP.NET 2.0? Franklin's Net is a network of .NET experts who delight in teaching their craft to other developers. Right now we're teaching public and private classes in VB 2005 and ASP.NET 2.0, but you can put together a custom private class for your team, choosing from a full spectrum of Microsoft technologies and practices. Contact us today by email at info at franklins.net or go to the website at www.franklins.net. If, if you're uh, familiar with set-based, you know, T-SQL, is this going to help you with Link or is this a new 
way of looking at uh, searching languages, or what, what does it closely, most closely resemble? It most closely resembles SQL, which which I love. It's if you look at Power Builder or Progress or, or some other 4GLs, you could write SQL right in line with your PowerScript or your you know whatever. Um, so it looks a lot like SQL. Um, of course, you need to when you when you execute a select statement, you get data out of it. And you need to put it into something. Sure. So. Um, you know, you know, uh, other tools. You know, used cursors. Yeah, it was really good... just like a, an elaborate for loop. Um, now, this uses some really interesting um, new uh, language constructs under the covers, like um, anonymous types. So now, so if you happen to select, you know, the customer name and the address out of the customer table, you're going to get a, a collection of objects that just have a name and an address. Yeah. But you don't have to go and actually create that new class name and address. Um, it will do it for you on the on the fly. Hmm. Which is very—it's bizarre, but so yeah, makes me there's think. a lot of fundamental um, new language CLR type improvements um, uh, sitting below this. And anonymous types is one of those things that kind of has to be there. So when you project data, you know, normally we don't just say select star from customer, right? Right. You select certain things, and and depending what you need, um, why should you have to have a class that contains everything where you know everything that you didn't request is null? You know, and that was kind of one of the problems with object spaces. So, what you so when so when you do an, a, a link query, what comes back is going to be different every time. Is that what you're uh, saying? Potentially, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you can do the equivalent of select customer, uh, select star from customer. You can get everything back. Yeah, and, and you do get these mapped classes that um, that um, correlate essentially more or less to what's in your database. And you, I see. And you can, you, there's a mapping layer in there. Okay. Uh, um, but so if you, you do have control doing, over it, over the types that come back. Um, well, yes and no. I mean, uh, I'll give you an example. Like I could select um, name and address from customer where you know the province or the the state equals Washington, uh, and then I could do another query where I say select name and address from customer where credit limit is greater than a thousand dollars, and it's smart enough to know that it can reuse the same class, that yeah. same dynamically type class. But um, so yeah, you know, one of the things that people have to get over is that you know this is this is. Um, this is a lot of uh, influence uh, from uh, the dynamically typed world uh, now creeping into C sharp and VB. Mm, yeah. So uh, you have to be right. a little less comfortable with the fact that you know what the type is. Are, is there a, a coalition of C sharp uh, developers out there that are, are that think Link is a little too uh, little too much of a loss of control? Um, I, I'm sure there are. Um, I don't think it's you know enough people have really looked at it and to see what they get back. Hmm. Um, certainly, if you're if you're querying you know name and address from customer, you don't have property setters and getters necessarily that you can now use to validate what gets put into those objects and what gets put out. All right. So so now let's talk logistics. You've you've been using like customers as your your example. You know, select this from customers and that from customers. Um, uh, is that an implication that we're your your main use of this is is looking at a some data that comes back from a database? I mean, you said this before that it doesn't necessarily have to come back from a database. I guess what I'm looking for is, you know, can you give me a good example of a non-database application of using Link and where it will really save, uh, really help? Right. Well, I mean, I could have. Um you know, a good example is you take the the, uh, the database developer and you tell him he now has to work with XML. Yeah, ouch. And, and teach him how to use XPath. Yeah. And, you know, XSLT. Um, and, you know, they freak out. Right. And rightly so. Um, so it's, it's you know, a, a, those, those expressions are unique to that domain, that XML. And even SQL is, you know, unique to its own um, domain. Um, and really, you know, once we're dealing with C sharp, we really have to deal with objects fundamentally. So let's bring everything down to the lowest common denominator, which is objects. So, so Link, you know, flattens that world for us. It, it gives us query capabilities on top of objects, whether where, wherever those objects are, and then it gives us the ability to bolt those objects to, you know, well, regular objects, of course, yeah. um, XML uh, documents or. So, so give me an example of like a demo that you've done with Link that doesn't involve a database. Um, well, you know, a, an interesting example is um, you might need to select something out of the registry. Oh, okay. Right? And, re and registry nodes are exposed as collections. True. So, yeah. uh, so 
you know, um, or for that yeah, matter, not, any kind of hierarchical list like yeah, a, a file, the, a collection of files in a directory, right? a tree view of nodes. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, records in a data set. Right. And I can think of all of these just as, you know, I would querying from a database, which, you know, I know what a where clause is. I know what an order by is, um, you know, so all, all the standard query operators. Yeah, so, there. so here's one you, uh, you use an XML reader to point to an RSS feed and then load that into a data set. And then you could use link to, instead of, you know, trying to decode and decrypt the XM, XSL, uh, I'm sorry, the XML, the XPath, instead of using XPath, you can uh, use a link to go and find the things in that RSS feed that you need. Yeah, absolutely. And I can even do, um, uh, you have you have all the same type of, um, operators that you have with SQL, like I have a union, a set union um, operator. So I can take, I could take your blog and Richard's blog and my blog and union those together and then do a query across all of them. You know, yeah. show me all the blog entries where link is in the key, is, is in the subject. Wow. That's powerful. And the fact that this thing makes all those different data sources effectively homogeneous means it's very simple to join between them. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. Not just three blogs union together, but a blog and uh, you know, a collection and a bunch of rows from a table. Yeah, and for that yeah, matter, those together or do a join. And for that matter, a web service. You know, which is probably the the thing that a lot of people are going to be using this for, huh? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the, one of the interesting things is, um, um, in the past we would we would normalize this ourselves by having sort of a data access layer that would sit up, uh, on top of our database, or we would have a um, you know, a service agent that went out to a web service and got some data or, you know, something that wrapped up an XML document to flatten this for us. Yeah. So people have had to do this work before. Right. Um, and, and, you know, part of me thinks that we'll never have to do that again. <laughs> um, and that, that's a fair amount of code that, that goes away. Um, sure. Which is, which is very interesting. Yeah, sure. One of the examples I was thinking of is uh, a multiple select list box where a guy can choose, you know, 30 items that then have to be queried against the database. And it's relatively inefficient to sort of write the string of SQL for that. Uh, mm. I've even done tricks like load those 30 items into a temporary table to do the join. But Link would sort of suck all that away. The collection of the selected items can be joined to the data set, the, the, the data on the database like they were the same thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And when you start thinking, too, that you can do all of this in process in a SQL Server 2005 database with managed code in the database. Oh, uh, yeah. Now it becomes interesting. Like, holy crap. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's not pass over that because I'm, sure you know, I'm sure I heard the light bulb go off for our listener's head there. Let's, let's say that again slowly. So you can write managed code in a stored procedure in a SQL Server 2005 database with, with you know, 2005 today. So, although I have not seen this, I don't see why this wouldn't be an option. It's pretty um, powerful. I'm, th you know, I'm thinking about this. Yeah. Um, so you use link in an extended store procedure right inside the database. You have access to the data in the database and you have access to, you know, whatever objects are passed into the store procedure. Right. Right. So, I mean, I, I'm not actually using T-SQL anymore to write set-based operations mm. right inside my database. Where sort of that's nice... kind of the guidance now with managed store procedures is that you don't use them for set-based operations. You use them for um, iterative, you know, iterative yeah, of, yeah, programmatic access. Logic, flow control kind of and stuff. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that, that Link is going to be just as fast as set-based T-SQL, but the metaphor is there. Well, that's a good. That's a, a great segue to uh, performance. What what's the story there? Um, I haven't done any performance testing, and I haven't heard any quotes. Um, I can give you a quote from the object spaces world. They were looking at, um, you know, hoping that an object space query would be twenty to thirty percent, no worse than twenty to thirty percent slower than a native ADO.NET query. And indeed, and indeed, objects. Uh, sorry, link and object spaces both worked on top of ADO.NET. Um, now, yeah. so you know, there's obviously you know it's marshalling stuff into objects, and that's got to have an overhead for it. Um, so you should expect an overhead. But one of the things that I've noticed um, is that uh, you don't actually 
Well, by default, you don't really have control over when the query is actually executed. So, um, and you can so, pop. Huh. So they're asynchronous, I, in other words. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say that it's really asynchronous, but I'll give you an example. Let's say we have a, a, a customer collection, and each customer has a collection of their orders. So I might do a query from the customers collection to say, "Give me all the customers where." Um, the province equal or the state equals uh, Washington, and then I might iterate through those, and then say for each for each of those customers, uh, what is all their orders, and go through their orders. So yeah. and so you get an object graph, you get a natural relationship between customers and orders when you when you point this thing at you know say a Northwind database. Right. So when should that query to the orders table be executed? Should it be executed, you know, as you're going through each customer? So there'd be one query to get, like if you if you run a SQL profiler on um, on this example, mm-hmm. um, you'll see that it runs a, a query against the uh, customer table, and then as you're iterating through each um, customer, it'll create another query to to uh, query the order table. Yeah, which might be efficient, um, and that's maybe probably the way you would have written it in ADO.net, but one of the things you can do is you can tell it to to aggressively load early on. So when you do your query for the customers table, you can say, you know what, I'm going to also need the orders for these folks. Right. So it'll do two queries, one for the customer and one for all the orders. Hmm. Hmm. So that 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 would actually be a lot faster if you knew that that was going to make sense. So you you're know, by need default, all that data. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you know you're going to eat it, you know, do it all up front. And that would you would have to that would be a major refactoring to do that with ADO.net today. Yeah, sure would. But it's a keyword in, in link. Like aggressive. Yeah, it's uh, I think the keyword's like early or something. Or <laughs> no, it's in, like uh including. So the I, I've heard Mark Miller say that the the worst feature of Link is that he can't use it now. So <laughs> what is the uh you know, what's the schedule looking like? Time frame? Um, you know, I think the uh I'm really hesitant to say because... Um, well, what does Microsoft say? Yeah, Microsoft says um, the, the plan is to look at this with C-sharp 3, which is Orcas. This obviously needs a new version of yeah. the language compiler. Um, same with VB. Right. It will work with VB, yes. Yep. There's uh, language extensions for both, and um, it requires new framework components. Yep. But it doesn't require a new runtime. So the, the previews today, they actually run on the CLR2 runtime. Interesting. So um, that that keeps Link as a possibility, at least, for um, Orcas, which um, the I've heard 18 months after Whidbey, which would be middle of next year. I wouldn't expect anything before the end, though, yeah. myself. And is there something that you can mess around with today? Is there a beta or an alpha or a CTP or anything of the kind? Yeah, they've been dropping CTPs. Um, they've had a couple of CTPs. The uh, C-sharp and the VB folks are on slightly different timelines. The VB folks just released an update to theirs. And there's some great samples online, too. They've got like uh, like 101 sample application, which um, I'm actually going to demo on DNR TV when we do that. Yeah, great, yeah. Any go-live licensing or something like that? Can we actually use this stuff, or is it purely <laughs> experimental? Well, um, they would kind of. Well, you need you need a new version of the framework, so there's no way you're going to get a wet round from um, uh, getting by the licensing problem. You do need a license because it requires new versions of uh, pieces of the framework. But right, uh, no go live. No. In fact, when you open this up in uh, in the CTP, you get a big nasty warning to say you're using a you know preliminary release of C sharp. You know, be very careful. Okay, so let's talk acronyms. Link, X-Link, D-Link. What are all these things? Let's start with D-Link. What's D-Link? So D-Link is the thing that surfaces um, database um, operations inside of Link. Okay. And you you don't actually, you know, say I'm using Link or D-Link or X-Link. It's just sort of underlying plumbing that makes visual inheritance, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and X-Link's the same for XML. There actually are specific XML features um, that, um, you know, I'm not an expert in, but, you know, special features for helping you easily create XML mm-hmm. um, and construct XML trees, um, be it fragments or whole documents. So there, there's some cool stuff in there for that. 
Um, and and, and Xlink being you have uh, for, a pile of XML now you want to use Link to navigate it as into right. so it replaces XPath kind of or yeah I mean all the type of things that you would do in XPath and query um, yeah you would have available to you it, you should you should keep in mind that when you're working with Link it is working with like all the data in memory. Right. So it is like a DOM kind of. Sure. Um, unlike sort of a streaming type of, you know, SAX or XML not, type not of thing. Not the SAX style. Yeah. Right. So you may still want that for something else, but that that's not Xlink. And and just flipping back to D-Link, um, D-Link is specifically SQL Server. Okay. So if you wanted to query Good against... Point. Uh, this is, you know, this is the devil in the details, of course, between now and when they release this stuff. Will they provide provider support for other databases? Um, there's some work I think the provider has to implement to, to make this work. Yeah. Right. And who's going to make that provider? Yeah. I think that's up in the air. My, my, my recommendation to Microsoft was, you know, you guys should really at least do, you know, a basic Oracle one. Um and then let Oracle, you know, one-up you and do a better version of it if, you know, you don't do a good enough job. But if you don't do one, then Oracle probably won't. But who knows? Mm. That's a good point. Have you seen a uh, a demand for that kind of thing? Has anybody asked for it out in the Oracle community? Um, well, I asked for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I hit a lot of Oracle. I hit probably probably 30% of the databases. 30% of the time I'm hitting an Oracle database. Um, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd like, to you know, one of the things I've noticed looking through link is that, uh, they've modified the query language a little bit because, well, let's face it, that normal SQL is kind of dumb, you know, select statement before the from clause, before you know where you're getting stuff from, you got to say what you want. Yeah. Uh, and they've, they've uh, fixed that you lead with the from. Yes, this is true. This is true. This is an interesting point. Um, it's always been um, sort of on an unrelated note or loosely related. Um, you know, that, that's one of the excuses you hear from Microsoft as to why they haven't put IntelliSense in um, Query Analyzer or, you know, its replacement in Enterprise, uh, sorry, Management Studio. Because, well, we can't, you know, when you type select, what do we know to drop down? Because uh, you, you got to wait till the front. So yeah, in um, in link syntax, uh, the from is is before you start um, specifying your projections. So that's uh, that's kind of cool. And so it does have IntelliSense. It does. It does. Yeah. Once you once you have like in terms of D-Link anyway, once you have the file that maps um, domain objects off to the database um, tables and columns, you get full IntelliSense. Hmm. Why would you ever write SQL again? Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see what the actual resulting SQL statements look like in Profiler when you're running all these various kinds of link queries and yeah. you know doing those heterogeneous joins. Yeah. Where is it going to push the data? Is it going to pull it down from the database and join it locally, or is it going to push the set that it's got locally up to the database and let it do the joining? I mean, there's so many choices. Oh, I know, I know. This is this is the most interesting part for me too. And and I'm imagining yourself as a as a as a database guy. Is like, what the hell is it going to do? Um, mm. And and what kind of influence do you have over that? This will work with stored procedures. So if you do have a stored proc, um, you can you can make this work against stored procedures. Um, as long as it so returns a set. Exactly. As long as there's tabular information coming back, um, you're good. You know, I'm looking at the link syntax here on your on the. Uh you have a, a list of resources, which we'll point out a little bit later in the show, but um, one of them is just to the, the link project at msdn.net framework uh, developer center, the link project. I'm looking at the syntax and, you know, the coolest thing about it is that it's just code. You know, it's, it's using the operators and the, uh, the, the, the elements of your language. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, the the first time I saw this, um, I actually saw the VB version of it before the C sharp version, and uh, I'm probably violating all kinds of NDA here, but yeah, um, uh, the C sharp we'll syntax out. was. I think at one point they were really keen on not introducing keywords, so they were using this concept of extension methods so that everything was a method uh, on whatever class, like to do the where, the order by, whatever. So it seemed a lot less natural than it does now. But yeah, it's it's you know if you can write a SQL statement, you can write this stuff. 
So you're saying they, they do have new keywords into... Yes, they do. New C-sharp keywords. Yeah. yeah. And also VB, obviously. So very, now, very interesting. Data Dynamics is the original sponsor of .NET Rocks. They believed in our show when we only had a half a million downloads a year. So, just by listening to this ad spot, you're helping them to help us bring .NET Rocks to your ears every week. Of course, I'm talking about their pride and joy product, Active Reports for .NET. Written completely in managed C-sharp, Active Reports for .NET sets the standard for .NET reporting. It's licensed per developer and is royalty-free to distribute. But let me tell you about the core feature set. Of course you get a report wizard, but it also comes with a Microsoft Access report conversion wizard. Talk about productivity right out of the box. Now you can just upsize your access reports right into ActiveReports.net and you're off to the races. Of course there are export filters for PDF, Excel, RTF, HTML, text, and TIFF formats. And also a Windows viewer control that supports split and multi-page views and in includes a table of contents pane with a new thumbnail view tab. You can perform text searches of reports and it also allows customization of the viewer's toolbar. The professional edition of Active Reports for .NET features an end-user report designer control to provide end-users with the ability to create and modify their own reports. How cool, and that just comes with a product. You don't have to buy a separate license for the client. It also includes a server-side web viewer control that takes advantage of ASP.NET's HTTP handlers so you can display reports without having to write custom code for export to popular formats like HTML and PDF. And the new version of ActorReports.net includes a full-featured chart control, page thumbnails in the Windows viewer control, HTML and enhanced table support in the rich text box control, an enhanced script editor with syntax highlighting, and perhaps most importantly, you can data bind to any class that implements the iList interface, in addition to other supported data types. It's very cool. you got to check it out. Just All I ask is you go to datadynamics.com and download a trial version of ActiveReports.net. Hey, even if you decide to buy it, it's not going to break the bank. Very reasonably priced, and as I said before, it's licensed on a per-developer basis and royalty-free to distribute. Check them out at www.datadynamics.com. One of the things that, um, I mean, I think Richard brought up a good point in that um, there are certainly folks that care a lot about the SQL that gets sent against their database. Oh, well, yeah. Richard, Richard, you're in that camp. There's certainly folks yeah, that... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that, uh, you know, there's going to be issues around this. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of what privileges is this, guy, is this account going to have to have? What is this app able to do? Yeah. You know, what rights, how can I control that? How can I restrict that? Can I force it to go through a view or to go against a, a stored procedure for its request? These right. are all things I'm used to controlling as a database guy. Because, you know, you understand why database guys are so grumpy. If we do our <laughs> jobs perfectly, nobody can tell. But drop one table and who's in trouble? Exactly. Right? The developer calls you up says he accidentally renamed every single customer John Smith. Whose fault is that? Yeah. So, you know, we're, all, we're defensive about our data because we always get into trouble when it gets damaged. And that's yep. why we build these yep. things. It's not because it's fun. We do it because that's the only way to protect the data. And I'm just wondering how much of that's going to be circumvented by Link. Well, I'm, I'm going to make a statement here that I don't think Link is for everybody. Um, I mean, I think there's the one camp, um, let's call it the Richard camp, where um, <laughs> these guys, they create a database first, or they have a database, and it's used by many different applications. And then you get this other camp, and I'm going to call it the small talk camp, because I've seen this mostly in the small talk world, where they build this nice, pure, object-oriented application, create domain objects for everything. And then at some point, they go, I guess we better save this stuff in a database somewhere. Somewhere. So, mm -hmm. really, they just need to create a database uh, to support the serialization of their objects. Their job doesn't depend on it. 
Right. I mean, and this database, you know, it might as well be a big XML file for all they care. I mean, well, okay, maybe yeah. there should be some kind of performance. Um, and I, I think I think Link D Link specifically is really really going to be helpful helpful for those guys. In fact, it was actually an interesting thing in Object Spaces where you could have it create the database for you. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, don't, I haven't seen that in Link, but. Um, uh, but back in the object spaces uh, previews, you could actually just say, "Okay, from all my objects, right. go off and create a database." It's a little I bit love crazy. that. I would, I would still like to have that in, you know, the XML schema designer. You know, be able to take an XSD and say, "Here, make me a make me a database from these tables." Sure. Yeah. And and if that exists, I'm sorry. You know, I've been accused lately it, it, of of saying, "Gee, wouldn't it be nice if?" And then somebody says, "Well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Franklin, it does <laughs> exist." So. Yeah. Well, there's, there's of course data modeling tools out there. And, there are. Uh, yes. Well, it's not exactly modeling XML or XSDs. Yeah. Um, those are there, but um, so you know, there's. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that Link is probably for the folks that um, don't think of their database as a service. They think mm. of it as a fundamental component of their application. Mm. Yeah. Which an API. Probably, yeah. Which is not, which is not the Richard Camp, right? This is my service. It might as well be a web service. And, you know, I want to have very careful, controlled access through its API, which, you know, okay, it's not SOAP, it's SQL, but, you know, yeah. it works and um, it's well-defined, whether it's stored procs or whatever. Hey, I want to give the uh, listeners some meat here. You know, uh, I'm looking down at the bottom of the, of the, link, uh, the, uh, the link project overview, and it's a sidebar, but it's the standard query operators in a nutshell. Let's just, I'm just going to go through a few of these, and if... If you have any comments on any of them, just jump in, okay? Sure. So, of type, which is a filter based on type affiliation, kind of cool. You have select and select many, self-explanatory. Where, count, all or any, pretty much self-explanatory. First, in first or default, access initial member based on optional predicate function. That's cool. Element at, take, slash, skip, to access members before or after a specified position. Take while slash skip until active access members before or after predicate function is satisfied. Pretty powerful. Uh, group yeah. by, obviously, to dictionary, yeah. which to dictionary, which creates a key value dictionary based on key extraction function. Uh, order by slash then by, then by. Sort in ascending order based on key extraction function and optional comparison function. You have order by descending and then by descending, which is in reverse order. You have reverse, which uh, reverses the order of a sequence. And this one is interesting. Fold, aggregate value over multiple values based on aggregation function. Fold. Fold. I've never even looked at that one. That's kind of well, well, fun. You have uh, it's almost like a cube or something. Yeah, yeah, because it would still return multiple values, but it's combined them together. I also think the take is very interesting because that's something pretty tricky to do in a database. To say, see this row, give me the ones five above and five below. Yeah, you know those sorts of things are tough to do in true set based statements. So you're sort of seeing a hybrid between the set based behavior SQL and the sort of uh, sequential or uh, row by row behavior that uh, that we're used to in, in software development. Yeah, some of these some of these do have sort of equivalents in SQL. Like you, you can think of take as almost like a top, but you can use it. I mean, it's a lot more powerful. I can use it in a lot more places than just at the beginning of my query. I can you know be going along and then say you know take you know five here you know, right. or skip to, skip another yeah, ten. Yeah, it's or much whatever. more specific and yeah. explicit. All right, uh, uh, min, max, sum, and average. No, no big thing there. Uh, distinct, obviously, filters duplicates, except which filters elements that are members of a specified set and intersect, all right, that are not members, uh, filters elements that are not members of a specified set. Union, which you were talking about before, which combines the distinct members from two sets. Concat, which concatenates the values of two sequences. Two array and two list, which buffers the results of query into array or list of T. So it uses generics. That's very cool. Uh, range, which creates a sequence of numbers in a range. And repeat, which creates a sequence of multiple copies of a given value. So that's the standard query operators in a nutshell. Very cool. 
we we probably also need to talk about updates. Yeah. So, you know, so far we've only talked about, you know, querying or projecting data out into objects, but what happens when you modify the values of those objects, particularly in the case of um, a, a D-link or database stuff? Okay. So um, there's, there's this magic method you get called submit changes, at least that's what it's called now, that will take any of your changed objects that happen to be sitting around in memory and, um, and persist them back in the database. And if Richard thought that the querying generating SQL was, he was a little uncomfortable with that, he's going to, he's going to. Yeah, I'm about to wet myself, actually. <laughs> he's going to flip. You're not yeah. maintaining any locks when you grab this stuff. Have you got some kind of concurrency storage so you know if the rows changed or not and you can detect it right after right? Yeah, exactly. You do. You do have a concurrency um, capability, an optimistic concurrency capability, where it actually uh, buffers the original values in this middle magical area. Um, we'll call it Voodoo Land. Huh. Yeah, Voodoo Land. Um, now, I'm imagining what the ADO.net uh, does in Visual Studio, which is comparing every column. Does is it smarter than that? Um, well, well, that that's actually a good way of doing it if you don't have anything else. Right. right. If you don't have a timestamp, um, really, there's not a whole lot more you can do unless you have, you know, like a row identifier that you're incrementing in a trigger or, you know, and, something better than that. So sort of the universal way is, yeah, every value. And if you do have a timestamp, does it recognize it like ADONET 2.0 does? Uh, I haven't seen that specifically, but I'm hoping that, <laughs> that it I will. I imagine it would. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, that, w- that would make a, a tremendous amount of sense. That would mean those two departments aren't talking to each other, which would really be upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the, in the terms of the data type called timestamp in SQL Server, which is neither a time nor a stamp, yeah, it's actually considered a deprecated column. So if they were talking to each other, the SQL Server guys would say, don't use that. Mm. Yeah, use it like, what do they call it now, Rover? Yeah, Rover. Yeah. 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 There's a, a different thing. Yeah, so you know that that's what you really want to. That's a that's a much more elegant way or concise way of looking for uh, the original version of a of a row. Um, but let's well, think the about upside this. to doing the column by column check, if you're really going to get into this, is you say, here's the set I've got locally that, that before it was modified. I compare it to the set that I've got that he's now modified, and I only want to compare the columns that were changed. In theory, right. I could avoid, if I wrote on one column and you wrote on the other column, we shouldn't run into each other. But if we're using Rover, we will. Well, that Even depends though we each on only your, chain individual column. That's, that depends on your business. Um, that depends on the table, really. I mean, it really depends on the data. Um, like, it, let's say your, um, your table happens to store um, trans, financial transactions where it shows the debit and the credit amount. Or, or the no, those never get updated. They only get inserted. So you're yeah, never okay. going to have this problem. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, maybe you want somebody to change multiple pieces of a record and other people to do so. I mean, sometimes you, you might, sometimes you, you won't. So that, right. that would be a nice feature. Actually, you had that in the Power Builder world, which you could just say in the where clause, generate uh, key and updated columns, or key and modified columns, they called it. So that was a nice feature, but you don't really have that in uh, the data adapters today. I haven't seen that in the link updates. But if you think about the data set, the way it does this in the data set, the data set actually maintains not only the uh, the current modified value, but it also keeps track of the original value, and it keeps track, right. and it has row flags and, and uh, modified flags when something's deleted or um, um, modified or inserted, for that matter. So if you actually look at the objects that get projected out of a dealing query, none of that stuff is in there. It's all managed in voodoo land wow um now i'm really liking that name (laughs) it's um i'm not really sure i'm fond of it either i would have to say that you know it's probably um probably the expression that optimistic concurrency is so important that it shouldn't be left to the developer is the attitude that Mm. d-link takes Mm. whereas probably the guys (laughs) who care about their you know their database as a service don't think of it that way they think it you know, optimistic concurrency is so important, it shouldn't be left to the compiler. Hmm, yeah. Right? So, two different Well, then there's, a, there. there's the whole avenue of dot, the .NET belief system that said everything ought to be overridable. So, you know, go ahead, give me an automated solution, but let me tell you when it's wrong. Right. Let me, let me plug in when I need to. Right. Yeah. Yep. No, for sure. And um, we'll have, time will tell <laughs> how well they listen to us on this stuff. So what do you plan to show uh, later in DNR TV about Link? 
Well, I'm going to I'm going to just um, you know give you a couple of examples of how folks do stuff today in ADO.net. Okay. And how much work that is, and we'll just do that quickly. And then um, I'm going to quickly show you how you'd rewrite that in um, in Link. And then um, there, there's a lot of new keywords there and weird things going on, so I'm just going to decompose um, some of the new language features that really don't have anything to do with Link, like anonymous types, lambda expressions, mm-hmm. extension methods, mm-hmm. um, a couple other things. And then we'll we'll come back and then look at Link and say, here's all the cool things. Here's all the um, you know filtering operations you could do. Here's how updates go. And we'll just whip through some of those um, more interesting of those 101 samples. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Got to tell you about one cool thing that you'll like, Richard, in, in uh, D-Link. So if you do a query let's say from the customer table, and you say, give me, you know, select from the customer table where the customer ID equals one, two, three, four, five. And that gives you back a specific customer. And then in another query somewhere else, you say, select, you start from customer where uh, name equals Richard Campbell, which also happens to be customer one, two, three, four, five. One, right. of, the, one of the things that Link D-Link will do for you is they'll actually point to the same instance of the same object. When so you're not the creating result. objects unnecessarily. No. So that's wicked. Yeah. I'm just so thinking Voodoo. from the from my my own ORM nightmares. That was one of the classic ones. Is you created three instances of something and then populated its child structures, and they all had the same data, and it just sucked up tons of memory. Well, it's even worse if you think about updates, where one guy's updating one object instance of it, and one guy's updating another. Right. But they're really the same instance. They really should be the same instance of the object. So um, now they're all the same instance. So I mean, you could run into concurrency problems even on your own thread. You know, just the one. Sure. App. So yeah, that's one of the the cool things that Voodoo Land does for you is uh, manages object identity. We're beginning to love Voodoo Land. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a love hate relationship. I can see that already. I'm sure it is. Yeah. And we love it when it works and we hate it when it doesn't. Boy, that sounds familiar. Sounds very familiar. Well, the, you know, the, the saving grace is that it's all in your code. I mean, you have the full capabilities of your language to help you do whatever you need to do. So part of that is, as you were mentioning, is being able to override things that you don't like. And uh, so again, Again, Barry, I guess I, I heard your answer before, but you're not familiar with any place in the link architecture where there's uh, overridable or pluggable um, architecture? Well, some, some of this is up in the air still, too. Really? So, okay. Um, so, you know, one of the – or at least from the last version that I saw, they, they may be further along but just haven't released anything. Um, they uh, – you know, one of the feedback uh, – pieces of feedback they got was on how the, the D-Link mapping worked. So what they had is they had the, the way it works in the CTP is the first one that we'll show in the, on DNR TV is that yeah. they have a big honking Northwinds class that has every single object in it, and it has an attribute on the class on each table and column or class and property that points to which table and column it is. So it's an attribute-based thing, mm. which, um, you know, is good and bad. You know, in theory, you could go in there and you could change, you know, put getters and setters on column. Columns, if you yeah. wanted to put in other weird validation or event handlers or who knows you what. You shoot yourself in the foot. No yeah, worries. maybe. Um, but one of the, you know, the problem is, of course, is if your database che- uh, schema changes, um, it requires a recompile. That's a classic problem between, uh, you know, that's always been there with data data access code, yeah. especially that, that that snuggles up to the database a little too close. Right. Unlike, say, um, any of the um, file-based um, mapping ORM solutions, uh, object spaces included in that where there was just a big, you know, XML file that mapped um, object and property to table and column. Yeah. So I, I think they're going to provide both options, the last I heard, uh, with the link. So, I mean, that gives you a little bit of flexibility on controlling it because um, you, what you might do is you might replace a table reference to a view or to a stored procedure call or, or whatever. So um, we'll cover some of that some of those options in the uh, in the DNR TV. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. But but they're probably going to change. I mean, I'd have to guess they would some of those are going to change. So let's talk about this blog post of resources that uh, you've put together and a lot of people have linked to it. I notice uh, we we've shrinksterized it at shrinkster.com/bvi 
and uh, Barry's very big index, B V I. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that uh, so so tell us about some of these resources. So let me let me fire that up here, so I know what I'm talking about. Um, actually, it was it was interesting. I I, I kind of knew Link was going to be announced at PDC, so I was I was generating. I was actually at home during PDC. I didn't um, I didn't actually go to PDC, so I was sitting at home, you know. And I of course I actually had internet access when nobody else did. Right. So, <laughs> so I was able to put together this live blog of all the live feeds very quickly. So yeah, everybody started linking to it. So. Um, this one is actually a little bit outdated, um, and, and I should probably go back and update it now that you've told the whole world about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, specifically, actually, most of it's pretty current. There actually is another blog posting um, uh, on my blog. I think it's called September 20th Update or something like that. Okay. Um, so, you know, there's an overview section. We've got uh, links to uh, a beautiful white paper um, written by Don Box and Anders Helsberg. Um, so that's kind of like the link manifesto. There's also one of those for D-Link and X-Link as well. So there's sections for each of those. There's hands-on labs. There's videos. There's specific things for C-Sharp and VB. Um, the C-Sharp guys seem to be a little more on the ball as, as far as coming out with the samples. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, and then there's... Uh, at least a partial list of a whole bunch of the bloggers that have uh, have been involved in uh, creating some of this stuff from Microsoft and uh, some of their thoughts on that. So follow all of those. There's lots of great discussion in there. John Galloway, uh, you have a link to his uh, blog. He's he's been a avid DNR fan for a long time. He's looks like he's doing some uh, some good posts. Yeah, there's there's lots of stuff. They've been pretty quiet lately. Uh, I guess they're doing their MQ uh, cleanup work, so yeah. everybody's been a little quiet, but they're starting to come out of the woodwork now with more information. And but there's some really good videos on Channel Nine, as you said, uh, as I said before, right? Yep. And you got links to those. Yeah, good stuff. Actually, I think I think my favorite is the 101 samples. They're um, they're actually available online in that web page, but if you really want to get a feel for it, um, download the link preview. It includes the, an actual application that you'll see in DNR TV when I, when I show that stuff. Okay. Very that cool. lets you really just run the application, look at all the different samples. It'll even show you the generated SQL that's um, being sent out to the database. Huh. So that will be therapeutic for Richard. Yeah. <laughs> well, Barry, uh, we're coming to the end of the show. Is there any anything else that you want to add before I ask you the magic question? There's a magic question? Oh, yeah, there okay. is. Okay, my question is, what's the magic question? Well, uh, basically, it's something that I've been asking everybody. Is there anything cool that you've seen online or a resource or a download or a tool or something that you can't live without? And most people say uh, Skype, so let's... Oh, Just take no, Skype. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do Skype. Um, Just take Skype off the list right now. Yeah, I, I've um, I've been um, – well, this could be a whole other DNR episode, but um, – There you I've go. Been, you know, um, John Lamb and Scott Hanselman tuned me into um, Time Snapper. Yes. Which is cool on its own. Um, it this sort is of a takes thing pictures, that takes of course, picture. of – your yeah. application, yeah, whatever you happen to have running every five seconds, John, John's using it as a as a life recorder, yeah. Um, um, but I, I've actually been um, thinking about recording other information other than what happens to be on my screen, namely my geographic location. Hmm. So um, there's a oh, I'm going to have to dig up a, a URL for you on this, but uh, there's a really cool URL that um, is a war driver's database of Wi-Fi SIDs hmm. with their geographic location, I guess. Oh, I guess. yeah. I have heard about this. Basically, yeah. anytime anybody leaves a, a, li- a, a Wi-Fi link open and unsecure, somebody puts it in the database. and so Yeah, they... they're actually recording even the, the protected ones. Oh, really? Um, so there's, there's actually these programs that... It's actually called Wiggle.net, I believe. <laughs> i got to check this Wiggle. out. Wiggle.net. And they... Um, so the idea here is that I'd like to triangulate um, my current coordinate from the strength of my nearby Wi-Fis by going off to this site and 
looking up the GPS coordinates of oh. uh, of the the MAC addresses of the uh, the Wi-Fi signals. Now it turns wow. out that um, MSN Location Finder that you can download from um, Virtual Earth does uh-huh. this already. So um, that's a really cool app, um, and there actually is a uh, a calm interface to that app, so you can go and ask it what your uh, longitude and latitude is. Huh. So I need to create a a, a GeoSnapper version of TimeSnapper to uh, <laughs> record an audit trail of everywhere I was. Yeah, we Just, sort of have a little experience with that kind of thing, don't we, Richard? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> On the road trip, we had a, a just <laughs> such a device, and uh, yeah, when it works, it's great. You know, when when you have connectivity, it's great. When it doesn't work, it's really annoying. Yeah, I I um I, I want yeah. I mean, there's lots of really cool things you can do if you know where you were on any given day, right? Like uh, right. you could geo encode your photo library. You say, huh, show me right. all the pictures at the cottage, or you know, when I was in San Diego, or yeah, it's a, you want to be able to dump all your pictures out and have them just show up positioned on the map to in chronological order. Have you ever done geocaching? Yeah, uh, I haven't really done it. I've looked at it and kind of done it virtually, <laughs> yeah. lived vicariously through a few other geocachers. But yeah, yeah, very cool. Very okay, cool game. last last minute words uh, about link calls to action. Anything of the kind? Well, I would sit tight, watch it. Um, it's going to totally change the way you uh, write data driven applications uh, in in the next version of .NET. Probably going to change a fair amount right now. I mean, if you wanted to learn some new technology, look at something coming with Vista like WinFX. Uh, um, yeah. Link is a little further down the road, but it is going to totally change the way you uh, think about writing database applications. You probably will never want to create a data access layer again. Um, right. At least if you're in the small talk camp. Maybe not if you if you uh, work for Richard. But. All right. And watch <laughs> DNR TV at dnrtv.com with Barry Gervin. Thanks, Barry. It's been uh, been a pleasure having you on the show, and, and I appreciate everything that uh, you're doing in the community. Great. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t-r-o-c-k-s. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Time for life is hard.